Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from black magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hello and welcome to the 79th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we are catching up. We are going to talk about what Matt and I have been doing lately, and we're also going to reintroduce the segment that we introduced many, many, many episodes ago called The Call Sheet. a year ago? At least a year ago. I think it was a year ago. Where we talked to a crew member from The Call Sheet. Today we're going to talk to Bramley about costume design. She works on a lot of TV shows. She does a lot of Nickelodeon things. Which uh, is fun because they have crazy costumes, but she's also worked with us, with both Matt and myself, and she is amazing. And we're going to talk to her about her relationship with directors and why she gets so easily annoyed by them. But first, we are going to catch up. So Matt, can you please tell us what you've been working on lately? Yeah, man. So I uh, I was traveling all over the country um, where I went to I road tripped from Denver to Breckenridge to a, for a film festival, and then when you say road trip, do you mean drove? Right, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, yeah. So okay. we well, we flew into Denver and then rented a car and then drove to Breckenridge, which is like uh, about forty minutes out of Vail, I guess, allegedly, um, depending on who's driving. And then um, we went to Casa Bonita. Did I tell you that? No. It's like a crazy Mexican restaurant in Denver that's like themed out. It's in an episode of South Park. Oh, okay. Um, and it was everything I'd hoped for and uh, the worst Mexican food I've ever had <laughs> in a way that I really enjoyed. I had a great time. Oh. But it was, um, I think, as an Angelino, I think uh, I really cherish um, Mexican food and Northern California. Like, I come from, I've only lived in places with incredible Mexican food and Casa Bonita is a different style of cuisine than I was used to. Anyway. Right. People give us a lot of beef about being like elitist <laughs> about Los Angeles. Uh, but you don't realize how good the Mexican food is here until you eat Mexican food anywhere other than here. Well, L.A. is a is a taco town. Northern California is more of a burrito area. So yeah. anyway, um, Denver, we drove through Kansas City. We drove, drove tip to tip of Kansas into St. Louis and then up into Chicago um, for another festival. And uh, it was a great time. Uh, but Wait, so um, how many festivals? Two festivals. One, one in Colorado, one in Illinois. And this is with uh, Chrissy's movie. Right, with my wife's movie, Killed in Action. That with, you produced. With, that I produced. Correct. So would you say it's your movie also? 
I, I could, but she wrote, starred, and directed it. So it's much more interesting to talk to her than it is to talk to me. That's generally true, but also in this case, especially true. I was listening to the Making Movies is Hard podcast the other day, and Tim had directed a short film that Ulrich produced, and they were getting feedback on it. And Tim was like, well, I mean, you're the producer, so this feedback is really for both of us. But all the feedback was like very creative feedback, which obviously Mm -hmm. the producer has an effect on. But I feel like as a producer, you don't take that stuff as personally (laughs) than as a director or writer. Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah. Um, anyway, it's just, it's funny to think, but then who wins the Oscar for best film? It's the producer. Sure. That's true. That's true. And I get to, uh, travel all over the country with a movie. So that's pretty great too. So if you guys get an Oscar for short film, you will, I would be the one accepting it, it, which is pretty insane considering (laughs) that one of us produced it and the other one wrote everything and stars and directs it. Yeah, and one of us really. did the visual effects on it. Yeah, that's Let's true. Let's not forget. That's true. Historical accuracies, thanks to Orrin Kaplan. Um, but yeah, so that was really incredible. But uh, the thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, I'm traveling basically for work this whole time. And we've got a lot of other stuff going. You know, the end of the year tends to be relatively busy for us because people are spending down ad budgets and like realizing, like, oh, you know. Uh, the end of the year is just around the corner. So if we want to get something done this calendar year, you kind of have to, it's do or die time. And there is a lull during the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's palpable. Yeah. I, uh, I lucked out and didn't have that. So I'm pretty tired. Uh- <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, normally I think 4th of July tends to be a, a division point in the year of like things wrap up around then. And then it takes a little bit of time to get things going again. And then people start doing their holiday campaigns and things like that. So right, like even like, fall season of tv basically starts like now right right exactly which is right now what's the date now uh, it's october 1st october 1st yeah so i guess we're officially in the fall yeah speeding towards winter yeah yeah careening towards winter i'd say um but so yeah so we, we've basically just been on our phones constantly even though we're driving through this amazing countryside as the seasons are changing and stuff um and so you know it's a funny thing it's it's incredible because I took like basically a week and a half off to go do this thing and didn't have to ask anyone knew I hadn't booked work or anything. So it wasn't a big deal. Like that it's the opportunity of a freelancer to, to take that time and really utilize it. Um, and I knew that I had work coming up, um, and a bunch of other projects, but at the same time I didn't disconnect, you know, like I was saying when I got home today, um, it's not that I feel refreshed and I'm back to work. I just feel like I'm a week behind. Right. And do you, so let's say you make a short film or a feature or anything and you're traveling around with it, promoting it. Who pays for all that travel? Right. So uh, we, because we have a decent amount of festival experience, you kind of know who to ask what for. Um, and so if you're smart, you can get lodging and transportation covered. Uh, shorts are a lot harder to do that with, but a feature you can get both of those things covered. Or, like you had said before in a previous episode, don't go and then get a screening fee. Um, right. A lot of people, so many people don't know that festivals spend money on filmmakers. Right. Whether yeah. it's for their lodging or for their movies. So you shouldn't be ashamed to ask. Once you get accepted, obviously. Right. <laughs> ask well, for the screening fee. And it's easier to get lodging than it is to get uh, airfare because lodging, they tend to be able to get those in-kind donations from 
um, sometimes sponsors. Sponsors, like in this case, we stayed in the swanky um, ski lodge thanks to Breckenridge. Breckenridge Film Festival was awesome, and then uh, Naperville Film Festival put us up in local hotels as well. And they, in both cir- circumstances, were really awesome about that. Um, and then there's a lot of free food and stuff as well. So, we, you know, we did the math. We said, okay, well, we've got you know four nights of this trip already covered. Plane ticket, plane tickets are a hundred fifty dollars. So, um, why not make a trip out of it and like basically have food and lobbing, lodging lodging covered for a half of our trip? Sounded like a pretty way, pretty good way to do things. And certainly, we were lucky because we're married, because we're freelancers. It wasn't hard for us to to take that week off, right? Um, and you found that insane parking deal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up doing that? We ended up doing that. Uh, and it was like a total disaster. <laughs> oh. yeah. The way I heard about it is Matt said he's going to stay at a hotel by LAX the night before his flight because if you stay at that hotel one night, you get two weeks of free parking there. Right, which would have saved, saved which would us. have been cheaper than the parking costs. And ultimately, it all worked out that way. But through like a lot of like help from um the local staff because it was a little misleading my bad basically is kind of what I'm saying. yeah yeah that happens so Thank shout you. out to um the staff of a hotel that i'm not going to name because <laughs> i don't want to get anybody in trouble right um that's hilarious um cool so yeah. is that so you were traveling is that the yeah. traveling you were talking about? yeah basically i think it's or, or you know when i we just done the uh spots in kentucky like i'd mentioned before and i think it's it's just interesting to embrace working nonstop always but also being able to vacation as a work vacation as well you know i got to see you know kansas city st louis chicago thanks to these film festivals and you know i paid for those legs myself but also like i wouldn't have done that in the first place and had an amazing time in each city um but also was always working like we would spend each morning writing and emailing and all of that stuff because we're in prep on these other things you know, we always remind ourselves like the reason that we get to take this time off is because we work all the time. And so like, it's the trade off. Do you, I feel like, or like when you travel for work or for pleasure, do you unplug or how does that work for you? Uh, I'm pretty sure I do what everyone does, which is I secretly don't unplug. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm with my family, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I love relaxing by the pool. And then as soon as I'm alone, I'm like, Where, what, what are my emails that I'm missing? Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, if I ever have to go to the restroom, sometimes sure. I might check my email while I'm in is, there. Is Oren's digestion okay? Yeah. You've I have been in there a, a bunch. Yeah. Everyone knows me as having a crazy stomach. You know, we talk about this all the time, but, like, this work is really fun. And so it's, like, not fun to be completely disconnected from it Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i i I don't um well cool but yeah so so it's uh it's kind of um golden handcuffs i guess but the takeaway is we like it so it's kind of great no matter what as long as the people you are with understand the situation you know because i think that can be really challenging right um because it's like oh well the reason i get to be here is because i know that i'll have to be on my phone a little bit you know Right. So you could just not be there, period, and stay home and work all the time. Or you could go out and also be a little distracted here and there. So I find something that helps is to set that up before the trip and say, hey, 
just so you know, I'm going to have a phone call on this day and a meeting on this day and I have to send an email and look at an edit on this day. Um, but I, I'm going to try to not be on my phone for the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's some satisfaction about like, I love noting something poolside <laughs> that makes me feel very successful in a weird way. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. It's weird. Um, um I well, can't watch anything in the sun. <laughs> Yeah, well, I do. I'm bad at my job, so that's great. Um, so, Oren, uh, tell me what you have been working on lately. Well, so this is very much related to our podcast. Uh, our listeners will, our regular listeners will know that I was like a very big proponent of like buying a domain called directedbyyourname.com. <laughs> so, because it's something that Matt Pollock, who was on our on our podcast, he has he owns the domains mattedits.com and mattdirects.com. And so uh, I think orndirects.com, I felt like I was copying Matt, so I bought directedbyorn.com. I set up this new website on Squarespace. I love it, blah, blah, blah. I put it on Facebook. It got kind of passed around a little bit. People seemed to respond really well to it. And uh, on the website... your old URL forwards to that new website as well, I took my old URL, orndfilm.com, and made it forward to directedbyorn.com. So now I kind of centralized my website. And... I kind of took a cue from you and Pollock and Paul Briganti, all these directors that I felt like were kind of in the same space as me and just made, you go to this webpage and you just see a bunch of work. Yeah. Like a mosaic of pieces you can click on. Um, And that's it. You know, and hopefully the better ones are up top and with really good thumbnails and a celebrity and a comedy thing and an action thing and whatever. So you can also click on contact, right? And on the contact page, there's a contact form, which is so lame. Who uses contact forms? I don't know. It's sure. just yeah. default, right? Um, and then uh, I write, you can also email me at oren at uh, directedbyoren.com. But I type it in a way that like a robot can't pick up that address, right? Mm-hmm. I put the at in parentheses. And right, whatnot. right. And that was like a year ago that I made the site and everything was great. And then again, our listeners might remember that I was complaining a little bit over the summer about the lack of work and how things have been kind of slow. Uh, so taking those two pieces, putting them together with the fact that Matt got hired to shoot these Kentucky lottery spots by someone, Bill Mann, who listens to the podcast, who had claimed to him that he tried to contact me as well. I put all the pieces together. Turns out none of my contact information on my website was actually getting to me. So, uh, you guys, Oren sent me a screenshot of just one page of yeah. missed emails. And there's like at le- like a smorgasbord of great gigs that you missed out on. I mean, don't you think that would be like a good sketch? Like the guy that doesn't realize that everyone wants to hire him, but he, he he's not contactable. I remember some guy, I think Eddie Murphy or someone was like on The Tonight Show one time. And he's like, I read this amazing script once and I was like so excited to do it and everything. And he's like, let's do this script. Let's call the guy, you know, that wrote it. And they're like, well, uh, there's no contact info on the script. (laughs) And so he never did that movie. That's like, that was my story over the summer. We should tell Eddie Murphy about IMDb Pro. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think think it was a while ago. (laughs) But uh, so yesterday I spent the day emailing back these amazing people that were offering me jobs. I got an offer, oddly enough, to direct uh, four out of the ten episodes of a series that Matt ended up directing um, for New Form. 
And uh, I got a, a, an emails from a couple of production companies that were really cool production companies. One that was like for an Amazon Echo commercial. Oh, from Digital did. Kitchen in Seattle, and you they didn't were tell like, me about "That that's pretty cool, man." Yeah, they're like, "Hey, man, we like your stuff." Through you, the it, podcast, or just they found you? They didn't tell me how they found me, but they said, "You know, we're looking for a director real fast. Can you mm, would you be right. available to shoot like in two weeks or whatever?" And they sent this to me in July, so <laughs> I would have been available. Had yeah. I seen that email? Yeah, like hard up for work, like sweating how you're never going to work again. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. Anyway, so I'm catching oh. up on all these emails. It's a bummer that I missed out on all these jobs, but I told everyone like, hey, I just saw this email because of some email technicalities, but uh, please keep me in mind for the future, right? Um, but uh, a lot of things that I also got there is people that listen to our podcast that are sent, that said like, hey, you know, I'd love to take you out to, for a coffee and talk to you. I'm moving to L.A. or I'm a new filmmaker or whatever. Uh, and to segue kind of to the second section of my catch up. But real quick, it's so funny. I don't feel like I never get those emails and it's just dawning on me. Are you the nice one? <laughs> no, absolutely because not. Because I thought I was the nice you one. You are the nice one. I tried to play the jerk on the podcast. So interesting. Um huh. Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't like 50 emails, sure, maybe sure, like sure. 15 emails. Well, I'll show you some of them. Yeah, yeah. And on at least one of them, you were CC'd. And also, oh, I'm also pretty bad about that stuff. Yeah, you yeah. might not be replying to, yeah, to yeah, as many yeah. emails. Um, I think a requirement to for me to have coffee with one of our listeners is going to be that you must have listened to all the episodes. Oh, no, don't do that to so people. That That's... I, I don't have to repeat anything we've already said. <laughs> so I've. You know, sometimes people email me. We obviously had the episode about Jacob Perlin, my manager, who was willing to take, you know, review materials from our listeners, which for the record, we've forwarded every single email. 100% of them, yeah. Yeah, to Jacob. We don't know what happens once they get to Jacob. If he looks at them, passes them on, whatever, but just know that we've been forwarding them to Jacob. Which is also kind of standard, you know, like you'll hear when you're ready, basically, is kind of the frustrating but standard advice on that sort of yeah. stuff so don't be discouraged if you don't hear back you know right and some reps they will write back like hey that I, that, you know the material doesn't resonate with me right. and other people just don't write back at all so. uh, oftentimes i think you'll get a um, response when you have a more personal relationship if it's like a friend who re- refers you and they do a lot of work together or something like that that's when you tend to get a little bit more yeah, I find you know. that even with our podcast, we have a few listeners that have like corresponded with us a few times, and sometimes mm-hmm. we only really start engaging with them like the third time or something that they email us. Anyway, so I got some emails from a few of our listeners. It happened a, a few times where they sent some materials, and I watched them, and I thought they were really good. But on occasion, I see something that I feel like is a little insensitive in the material. Um, like I saw. This one uh, director had had shared some videos with me that I felt portrayed violence against women as like a setup for a joke. And it, it was like it wasn't that bad, but I just feel like it was a little insensitive. Right. Well, I, I think maybe to kind of like open it up, broaden it out a little bit, like every once in a while you will see something that uh, yours doesn't click with you sensibilities wise and like maybe you have a hunch won't click with other people right whether that's a depiction of violence or racism or uh like always unintentional right it's like right right oh i'm a racist i'm gonna do this or 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 i'm sexist or whatever but like something that kind of like rubs you the wrong way and they don't see 
Right, right. right. And that's the thing. It's like, and it's not just one person. I've kind of seen like work a few times from people that are like, hey, what do you think of this? Or will you pass this on? And they're maybe trying to be edgy or like in yeah, your face. Yeah, extreme or funny. It, yeah. It's just, there is like, I even see this like with like professional Hollywood writers and directors oh, all that are time. a little bit older, you know, kind of sure. from a generation before us where there'll be the punchline of this joke is that this girl doesn't like guys or something, you know, like something yeah. where it's like, yeah, that's not really funny. You know, that's like just life. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. And so what I was going to ask you is, like, when you're in that situation, is there some responsibility to be like, hey, your work is great, it's shot great, directed great, performances are great, but there is something that struck me a little bit as insensitive and just I'm just letting you know that? Or do you just not say anything? Do you say, great job? Because if it was me and I was sending my work, mm-hmm. I sent you a video and I thought it was really funny or amazing and I'm going to yeah, send yeah. it out to all these people. And I'd be like, wait, and you're Lauren, like, yeah, like, this is racist sexist. and you yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Um, or like appropriating thing, you know, like, sure. And we're in a time where everyone is extra sensitive about that. And I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that everyone is sensitive. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's a thing, I think oftentimes, even when you're directing stuff, people are trying to, in in comedy in particular, if you push the envelope, you're going to go too far. Mm -hmm. And um, that's going to take a lot of different forms and different phases. And it's really really tricky to know what is okay and what isn't and also like what your voice is you know like if you look at tosh point out was a great example of like um most of his jokes i think wouldn't be acceptable for me right like but they're acceptable to him right which is right. his own personal brand and his audience likes it and that's a different conversation yeah and he's also like he doesn't bag on like a certain group of people he bags on everyone right he's like yeah i hate that argument though that's like like yeah i'm not saying that that makes it okay i'm saying that that takes a little bit of the hurt this the um like it's harder to like your feelings aren't as hurt i think because you don't I, i feel like his stuff is he's not making personal attack right or maybe it's easier to write him off because he's just an asshole yeah right? i mean that said i don't really i'm not super familiar with this yeah. stuff so yeah, it could easy. be wrong yeah well so but my point is is that like i think you can make a joke that's similar to something that's funny on a tosh or something like that um or even like a key and peel or something and then be like well you know that person made that joke so it's okay for that that's funny i'll make that joke or a similar version of it and the thing that's maybe the disconnect is that you have to be selling the thing that those people are selling in order for you to compare yourself aptly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, and that that, maybe you don't realize that what your, what your brand is, is different from what your messaging or your philosophy or politics may be. Right. Like when there's that disconnect, that's when it's like maybe worth it to be like, Hey, I don't think you mean to do this thing that you are doing. Right. And it and it happens a lot with white male, you know, filmmakers. Like, you see someone who like, and everything he makes, every female character is like the housewife, you know. Sure. And it's like he probably doesn't even realize he's doing this. I think part of I think they call that unconscious bias, right? Yeah, it's like we're just like cliche in a way where if you see his work, you're like, can this guy make something that feels more current? 
And I shot this commercial last week where there was a, a punchline where this guy's like um, trying to he uses the word man cave. Like, oh, I need my man cave. Something to that effect. And it's weird because it was like it kind of came from the client. But all the like kind of progressive writer people were like, yeah, we just man cave. Just we don't it like feel, that word. It feels old. Yeah, it feels like five years ago. It also feels sexist in a weird way. Mm. Not sexist, just like a man needs his cave. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's not offensive to anyone. I don't think someone would see and say it's offensive. They would see and they'd just be like, eh, this is like not It's like trying to be funny or cool, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No. Do you give people that feedback? What's your advice? Um, Oh boy, if I'm like, oh, this is racist or something like that. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Like, would you want to get that feedback on your work? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Even when it was already finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I think that there is stuff where you know I look back and I'm like, hmm. I don't really believe in this anymore. And so I don't put that on my website, for instance, and I don't make it public so that I'm not representing myself in that way in the future because, you know, people make mistakes and I'm not saying that I've done anything like super tacky um, or offensive, but like, yeah, I would absolutely want that information. I think there's also a thing of um, because of the nature of, just where digital media is and the the rate at which people exchange information and like uh the age the general age of like executives and things now like people are more uh woke right Mm -hmm. and so if you are behind the times and aren't aware of like you think it's funny to make a trigger warning joke like sometimes people will think that's funny and sometimes people will like no that's a real thing you're an asshole um and so, like, being, a, again, being aware of what joke you're making and who you're making it is is a thing you should consider, I guess is what I'm saying. And I'm not, like, saying, like, oh, and just tell racist jokes to white people. Like, we'll all laugh. That's not the point I'm making at all. I don't want to sound like that's what I'm saying. But, like, you know, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, like, you you would need you would want to be extra sensitive to not pushing any buttons in, say, like, a, a BuzzFeed video, right? Because that brand is very you know sensitive and mainstream but also like again like sensitive to racial politics and representation in a way that um that audience would would not be cool with like a domestic violence joke for instance right yeah it's uh it's interesting and whereas like the comedy store you can go make that joke right like it's not you have to you have to find your own taste level right yeah and and i think that's kind of i the the blurry line. It's not about offending people so much or appropriateness or like some hurting someone's feelings as much as when you're coming to LA and you want to work in film and you want to say, Hey, I have a voice that needs to be heard. People inevitably are going to judge your taste. Right. And when you're sending work to agents and managers and putting it on Facebook and YouTube and comedy central and whoever you're trying to show your work to people, whether it's conscious or not, will feel whether you are saying something that that they feel is a part of their world and makes sense or that feels a little outside or in in an uncomfortable way. There's like outside in a comfortable way, the right. like moonlight of, you know, the of the world where you're like, I've never seen those people, but this feels so authentic and true. 
And then there's just the like, take my wife, please type of (laughs) jokes that don't resonate here. And I want to say that maybe that stuff resonates in other parts of the country, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way that's different. But if you are trying to work your way up in the film business, it really only matters how it resonates uh, among the people that are running that business. Right. And so that's why you need to, even if you're a filmmaker and, you know, somewhere else that, that doesn't really care about this stuff, it, we you you should care about how people here might feel of your think of your taste if you want them to represent you and right. work with you. I, you know, I, I think I'll I'll say this about the topic in general because I think we're we're really approaching this from like more of like a business perspective. Basically, how will you be perceived by Hollywood or or people who want to work with you? Basically, so that's separate from our own personal beliefs and all of that, right? Like, um. But I think it's really important that you realize that the people who will be evaluating whether or not they want to work with you um, are very good at interpreting media, whether that's reading a script or evaluating, uh, you know, a short that you shot or something. So they're thinking about it critically and they're thinking about the ramifications that the this piece will have and, the, and your point of view will have on their viewership and their business and also culturally whether or not it fits with the current movement of what's happening and so um you need to apply that same sort of critical eye to your own work right and i want to say this isn't about being safe or not taking risks it's about being sensitive to how someone other than you will take this in and and it might not matter to you which is also totally valid but but i've been I personally have been in many situations, I suspect more than Matt, where I've said something that has rubbed people the wrong way or has come off in a certain way. And and I, and I people have told me, and when they have, I really appreciate it because I, I don't want to be that guy in the room that says the thing that makes everyone feel like a little awkward, you know? Right, right. So, so that's it. Okay, well, uh, hopefully some of the people that emailed me listen to the podcast and I'll get the message from here because I don't think... <laughs> I'm going to email any of them back and say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe. I think one final thing. I think that there's sometimes like a little bit of code words that people will say. Like it tends that like maybe you wouldn't be called out explicitly for being a misogynist or a racist or for having an unbiased conscience in that direction, which is, I guess, a problem in itself. Um, like it's okay to be called out for that stuff. If you say something stupid, like, you know. Um, it's not someone else's job to to tell you that you're being stupid, but also like if they do, you should listen. Um, but oftentimes people will kind of phrase things or like, you know, they'll say like, mm, this part was a little iffy or what are, right. I'm trying to think of other examples where. Or people might even say like, oh, what if, you know, wouldn't it be cool if this character was a woman or something? You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a good that's one. That's code word for like, hey, hey this is a little sexist. There's yeah. no, or there's no women in the script. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. So, so be, I'm saying be aware of those other things as well. Sometimes because we're still in a pretty, you know. Charged. Charged society. Like people won't feel comfortable saying these things quite as explicitly as maybe they need to be. But if you can be tuned in to like reading like oh maybe this is what they meant by that why did they say it that way or things like that that's worth uh thinking through as well totally well that was a great catch up matt uh let us call bramley 
Okay, so we are recording with Bramley Knopf. Bramley, hello. Hi. So, Bramley, we do this segment on the show every once in a while. By every once in a while, I think this is actually the first time or second time we're doing it? Second time. Eben was the first one. Oh, Eben was the first. Eben was our first person. It's called The Call Sheet, and we uh, interview various people that are on our call sheets. Uh, and so you, what are you listed on, on the call sheet usually? A costume designer? Yeah, always costume designer. Never wardrobe artist? Never. Or stylist. Is that offensive? I mean, it's not offensive. It's just not accurate. Is glam squad off- offensive? I feel like people, like sometimes people get called glam squad and they hate it. And sometimes glam squad and they love it. Yeah, I wouldn't be stoked to be on someone's like glam squad. Can you tell it? What is a glam squad? Can you tell us? Yeah, a glam squad someone who travels around with your actor talent and they are your hair and makeup people and your wardrobe. So everyone usually travels together. But it's just a little bit different. I don't hear a lot of people say that ever really on set. It's just yeah, maybe That's not. more so for like the editorial world, the red carpet, the styling of, of um, you know, like uh, more high-end stuff. Sure. Right. Or, or music, music videos off, oftentimes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they call, I feel like they call them the vanities, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. They're just very different things. Like a stylist is so much different than a costume designer for me. I mean, it's like you're talking about the army and I'm talking about women. I don't look at runway and what that and what's hot right now. Like that's where I would feel like it's a little offensive to me. I build right. characters. They don't do what top 40 is. Right, right. That makes right. sense. So Matt wrote down some questions that we were going to ask all the people on this segment. You're our first subject, so if they're not good, we'll we'll, we'll have learn to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So, question number one is: What is your job exactly? So, my job is anything that anybody wears. It doesn't matter if it's scrubs or if it's contemporary clothing. It's a costume, and you somebody writes something. You have writers, and you create a show or a film that you've created, and then you work with showrunners and directors and writers and build those characters you come up you sit with them and figure out who these people are to them and then you kind of put your spin on what that is for you and then you you dress them great and then what 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 would you say people typically think you do i think people think of like packaged costumes a lot of times i think that people think (laughs) of like oh costume designer and then they think like you make bears i've heard that kind of a lot like Disneyland characters. Right. I think that's why people like to say wardrobe because it sounds, I think, better for them than costumes. Sounds like kitschy or something. Right. But your point is that the costume, like what Matt and I are wearing right now, are like the costumes that define us as characters also. I did this thing for the Avengers one time when they were doing press, and I'd worked for this production company a bunch, and... um, I can't remember what his name was. Um, he's the guy that wears the suit. Um, he also is on that TV show now, the Marvel TV oh, show. Agents of Shield. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. You went. You you mean like a literal like a dress like a suit suit, exactly. not, not like a, a not Iron a, Man suit. Yeah. Yeah. So you were working with him. 
So they did this, um, they were doing a press day, but um, and nobody was in costumes except for him. But on the show, in the movie, he wears a, a suit, a dress suit. And Marvel would not release the suit unless a union costume designer was there. And so I think that that's just because they care about it so much. And it's not Tony Stark. It's not a Iron Man suit. It's just a Dolce & Gabbana, you know, shawl collar dress suit. But for them, it's a costume. It's important. Right. Cool. And you're, you are a union uh, costume designer, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what did you think you were going to do when you started working in this business? Did you think it was this? Um, no, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I think I, I didn't I don't think I could conceive of what this is at the time. I was 18 when I started working for my first costume designer. And I thought I was, I was just her assistant at the time. And so I just ran all of her errands and ran all of the returns and learned in the ins and outs of the costume department. So we didn't really have any other concept of what other people did as props or directors or anything. I just started out in such a small space. I was like, okay, these are where all of our stores are. These are where all the costume houses are. So once I worked in that longer, I realized the the business side of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No. I find I think a lot of positions in the film industry, like you keep hearing directors or like cinematographers especially say that they didn't realize that there was a job of cinematographer when they were growing right. up, like watching movies. A hundred percent. And I well, think that most people still think that way about, you know, an actor's performance and of something. I think a lot of people think like, wow, he's like Robert Downey, for example, like, wow, he's so funny. Like what a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. It's somebody's job and they write that. I don't think people conceive of that. Right. That it's a team effort to make a performance. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I acted in this music video that our friend Joe Egender or no, Sam and Alana made years ago. <laughs> And somebody handed me like a pair of Converse to put on uh, for my character. And I looked down at my feet and I was like, oh, like if I look down at my feet, I feel like I'm looking down at Corey, who happens to be Bramley's husband. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of when I realized like how literally just the shoes you wear can make you feel like a different person. Yeah. Like all those elements are, are part of what are making up the performance, even though we never really think about that. Yeah, I think where that's that whole where dress rehearsals come from and why the, why the importance of those things. It's mostly a theater thing, but, you know, sometimes we still do it. And I know that they do it sometimes in film, too, because it, it really helps actors and it helps see things that you wouldn't see before. I mean, if someone's wearing a hat and then there's a DP and they're like, hey, we're, that messes up my whole blocking with lighting. You're like, oh, okay, that's where you work that kind of those things out. And that's where also I think a lot of actors come alive when they are wearing their costume or have their thing that makes them, you know, complete. Yeah, or even like I think in fittings oftentimes that's where some of that work gets done as well. Yeah. Yeah, and for those that don't know, the fitting is uh, is something we do usually before we shoot where we're trying to close on the actors, making sure – that they all fit because I'm sure Bramley can attest that many times the sizes the actors tell you they are 
have very little to do with the sizes they actually are. They actually are. Yeah, I feel like the more experienced, correct me if I'm wrong, Bramley, but the more experienced you are, the less likely it is that they exaggerate their sizes in one way or another. You'd be surprised. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be surprised. I always, no matter what, pull a size down and a size up. And I first do a Google search of what they look like. (laughs) Well, speaking of experience. I always do that because I don't know, because, you know, they're still people and people don't want to, they try to squeeze into things or, you know, it can be the opposite where someone has a complex of, you know, being in a fitting room is really vulnerable. It's a super vulnerable place for an actor to be. They're most of the time naked or completely stripped down and they, you know, it's your job to make them feel comfortable and make it, make it so that you can get the best performance out of them by making them feel good because when you look good you feel good and so yeah I think you know a lot of times they do but once they start to warm up a little bit and get their their things on they get excited and then it's better but all of that stuff comes through the fitting because most of the time people are complex about going into stores or they're like oh I just you know jeans don't fit me really well or this doesn't fit me really well but 98% of the things that I put on somebody is tailored. Everything, tailoring is the most, is the backbone of of costumes, of wardrobe, of anything. That's how you make things. I can recut an entire dress that someone wouldn't necessarily be drawn to and then be in love with it because it fits their body. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I find something that I try to do when I can you know, in the commercial world, it's it's different because the client has so much say in in what people are wearing. But I try to get the actor's reaction to what they're wearing, like ask them if they like it, you know, or if, if it's between two choices, ask them to help us make that choice because I want them to feel like their input is important in what they're wearing. Yeah, definitely. Well, so Bramley, this, this is kind of, these are the questions we ask everybody, uh, or we're intending to. So I think I know the answer to this one. But just in case, uh, where do you see your career in, say, five? Five-year plan. Yeah, where do you see it progressing? Like, what direction are you trying to, are you moving in? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that everyone has an idea of what they want to do. And what would I love to do? Well, I'd love to do, like, Mad Men. I would love the opportunity to do a super period piece. I I love doing things like that. It's I love doing research and figuring out. Okay, we can't put these things on him because they because zippers weren't created then, so we have to remove all the zippers and we have to make it true to the period. As an avid reader, I have been my whole life, and I love the story behind people and characters and all of those things, but. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. And being in the multi-cam show world, which is where I, where I started and where I continue to be, is different. It's, e- it's a little bit easier and the hours are different. Maybe when my daughter gets older, you know, something like a, a period piece, even just to have under my belt and, and work with creatives that are building those types of things. That would be really fun for me. I'd love to do some sort of crazy, like, post-apocalyptic, avant-garde situation. 
like film noir. I think that that's really my passion to do that stuff. But I am living and doing what I want to do. I love doing kids TV too. It's fun. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about the industry. You don't have to necessarily be married to one thing. You can, you can hop around and at least I can. I mean, some people are typically feature designers or sitcom designers or you get, you know, put into a box like everybody else does. But I also think you can swap around if you kind of master a few different things. Yeah, totally. (laughs) No, no, it's a great answer. Bramley, how do you get jobs? How do you get gigs? Um, I've always gotten jobs by producers and people that I've worked for. That's how I've gotten all my jobs. Right. So Oren and Matt have never said, like, let's get Bramley on this. Is that what you're trying to see? <laughs> That's not entirely true. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, directors get, like, like want to work with you also, though, right? Yeah, and directors. And directors, too, for sure. But, yeah, always that, always word of mouth. I mean, it's like the tale as old as time, but it really is true. I think it's who you know. And people have you worked for. And they're like, so we love you, want to do this, and let's bring you on to this. Right, right. I guess that's how we meet most crew members, really. Yeah. Uh, Bramley, who do you collaborate with most closely? Um, as far as, like, if it's the writer or the director, like that thing? Yeah, which which crew member? Who do you find yourself spending your most of your time with, basically? Like, is it client? Is it a director? Is it a writer? Who are your people that you're interfacing with regularly? It depends on what world it is and what and who cares the most. Like if it's when I did I did the pilot Blackish and the showrunner of that show is this guy named Kenya Barris and he's a genius and he really cares about everything. That show is based on his life, so it's super personal for him. So he ran the show. It was very specific about everything that those actors wore. And then there's other times when I'm working with writers who wrote it who they are like on a multi-cam show and they're more attached to it they care the most or it's the showrunners that are working with the executives the network and then it's a peeing contest of who matters who's like wanting to do more power it Mm. changes for everything and if you're doing like a digital thing or commercial you know usually it's client and the director and the writer is really never there Right, and I imagine some directors are much better at talking about costume design than others. Yeah, it depends. It just it depends really on the person. I've worked with directors that really care. They want to sit with you. They want to be in fittings. They want to know. They're super type A about how that goes down. And I've worked with directors who could care less, and they leave that to the showrunners. But if you're doing it in the commercial world, I think I work mostly with the director. We build together of what that is. And I think usually the, create, the director has a clear vision. And then at the last minute, when we're doing something, client comes in and chooses based on the director's choices. I personally always go to the director first because I think that that's, I give him my choices. And then once he makes that decision or she makes that decision, we I then take it to the client so that it's filtered through the director. Cool. And then what makes you good at your job or like what do you do to stay good at your job? I love it. You gotta love it. I just I'm just 
built for it. I, I, it happens all the time. I've been doing this since I was 18. I'm almost 29. And I just, every project that I do, there's always so many moments where I'm sitting on set or something that's just, we're establishing that first shot. And I like cannot believe it. I just can't believe that somebody's paying me to do this, to be a creative. I feel like a kid just being like, okay, well, do what you do. What do you think about that? And then playing with arts and crafts and tailors and designers and building that product. I, I love it. I, but you've got to love it because it's not for this. His job is not, this business is not for the week. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of, yeah, no, we're going to do that. We're going to do it in August. And then August doesn't come up. It doesn't happen until like two years from now. You have to, you've got to love it. Yeah, makes sense. Wish I felt that about directing. Ah, I thought you were going to say the show. About this show. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Just kidding. I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of directing, what do you wish directors would do differently in terms of their interactions with you or wardrobe or like, you know, like, like what, do you, what makes your interaction with a director productive versus counterproductive? If you have an idea, if you have an idea and if you don't say that, because then I will offer, I will then take the reins on that. If you're, if we're building, um, a whatever world, let's say we're building like a high fashion world and it's a commercial and we want it to be this really big, um, Dolce & Gabbana vibe or whatever. Then if you're, if you have a, you know what, I love this and I want it to look like this and I want it to be really high fashion here and then I want it to sizzle out here and be more, I want to know everything that your thoughts are about that. And if you don't have any, if you're like, honestly, I'm really excited about this, but I don't know anything really about that, then I will come to you and I will show options of what I think it looks like and then we'll build from there. But it's the, it's that in-between person that's really challenging. Someone who really cares a lot, but then they don't, and they'll send you things and then don't send them back, but there's just, it's, it's just this weird middle person that you can't, there's a person, it's, I'm explaining that really terribly, but. Yeah, well, I think a lot of directors, especially younger directors, have this, for lack of a better term, like a chip on their shoulder, like they want to look like they have all the answers sure. and have a vision, but they don't know what, and they feel embarrassed to say, I don't know, you know, so they'll send you a couple things that they like, but they don't know why they like them, and then when you show them something, they're like, no, not that. Yeah, and, and exactly. it's funny because... That's a, that's a perfect way of putting it. That's the most frustrating person. Yeah, I've definitely been that person. <laughs> but, tr but try not to be that person anymore. I think we talk about this on the show a lot, about how like part of being a director is like looking to your team for not just execution, but ideas, you know? And being honest about what you... Knowing what you don't know, you know? But yeah. I, I think, Bramley, you nailed it when you said, I'm really excited about this, but I don't know. Like, that's, I think, a really key aspect of it. It doesn't mean that you don't care or that you're not excited. Uh, it's just that maybe you aren't, you know, studied in the world of high fashion from this season. And that can be okay. Right. And there's also, yeah, there's also, um, like, 
some like Bramley and I just did a commercial, right? It's a guy in his living room playing a video game. And it's like my first instinct would be like, eh, he's just a regular guy. Just put him in regular guy clothing, you know? Um, and so I think it's like being able to say like, hey, to me, this doesn't look like there's much thought to go into this. Can you as a costume designer tell me what there is to think about, you know? Like, are there certain options of shirts or layers I should think of or pants or shoes or what is because to me, it doesn't seem like it just seems like he should just wear what I'm wearing right now. But can you educate me as to like what the directions we can go with what he's wearing is? And that's that's fine, because, yeah, when you're doing a period piece when you're doing Westworld, when you're doing a superhero movie, the wardrobe might be a little more obvious, like what directions you need to go in. But when you're doing real life it gets a little more nuanced and that's yeah. when you can really lean on the costume designer to to bring ideas to the table that aren't so obvious you know yeah a question i always ask people when we're doing um when we're building characters is i always ask the director what kind of music does this person listen to like when you first look at them and you you're you've been sitting with these characters for so long who is this guy who is this girl and what kind of music does she listen to? Because most people can relate to music, even if they don't even know that type of, or style of music. If, if they think, you know, I just feel like this guy is, you know, really, he loves Metallica and he's this, this, and you're just talking out loud, trying to figure out who this person is. That's really helpful to me because I can tap into that world and give you options within that world of people who's at a Metallica concert, who's this kind of, and this age range and this whatever, and give you options, you're like, that's it. Or no, we're not quite there yet. And you're, and then I can still build, that's still an okay answer. So I'm like, okay, let me do another spin at it. And then, right. like you said, with the layers, I, if you're like, I just feel like it's not, it's, a, it's I don't know what it is, but it's just not right yet. But if you're okay with where we are in the world, I can add and build on that or take away from so that mm -hmm. when you see the second part two, you can go, that's it. I knew something was a myth. I just didn't know what it was. Right. Well, awesome. Well, we should probably wrap up, but uh, do you have any final kind of advice for new filmmakers in LA uh, from your point of view to, to sign off with? Um, yeah, I think that if you want to break into it, I think that you should find somebody and I know it's really tough, but work for free. It's everybody that I did it, a bunch of people that I know have done it, like find somebody and just follow them around and see how, go into a costume department, see that, how that works, because it's not something that you can teach by a book or something. You have to like get in the field and know what you're doing and how those things work and meet those kinds of people you know start out working for free or interning or see what PAs you can do but it really is I think just you got to work yourself up you got to work your way up yeah there is definitely a little bit of uh like people being in a hurry to get to the top sure <laughs> um yeah but yeah well cool well thanks so much for talking to us um What's, do you have any cool projects coming up that we should look out for? Um, I'm doing a pilot that starts on Monday from Nickelodeon. I do, I do a bunch of their fun stuff, a lot of their live action. So that's what I got going on. Awesome. 
Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah, same. Um, okay, cool, guys. We'll have a good day. I'll see you later. Thanks, thanks family. family. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a great conversation with Bramley. That was really cool. How many you've worked with her? How many times? Uh, just one time. I tried to hire her on another thing, and it oh. kind of um, didn't end up getting to happen. Unfortunately, sorry, Bramley. She but again, soon. so good. She's good. It's crazy. Like you ask her for a white T-shirt, and you say you have a five-dollar budget, and she'll show up with forty-five T-shirts yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sweatshirts and pants and this. And she's like, "Yeah, I just kind of." Yeah. She has like, I mean, this is again good for every crew position, but she has a really good sense of anticipating where things might move. Mm-hmm. Like from just very subtle things you might mention to her offhandedly, she'll be like. Yeah, you had mentioned a hat. I know everyone said absolutely no hats, but I just brought a few I hats. A, I just, had a couple of hats just in case. And isn't mad when you don't use the hat. Right. He's not mad. and But also the client, especially on commercial stuff, which is most of what we've done with her, there's like this feeling from the client of like, wow, they're really they're really ready for anything. You know, I think it, it, it just, you know, I feel like I could just send someone to the wardrobe trailer. Right. And the client feels like already like they've been so listened to and so involved in the decision making it's just like a really fun part of of making the client feel good about what you're doing. Um, cool. Well, let's go on to unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. I, I'll go first. I found this this website. This guy Joey Costco made this website that has all the floor plans of your favorite TV offices. Have you seen <laughs> this before? No. So, like, here's, like, The Office. Oh, wow. Here's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Friends, The Simpsons, like, what most tavern is set up like, Mad Men. Um, and he makes these, like, overhead views of the offices. And I think they're so cool because a lot of times when you're designing a set from scratch, you know, you're trying to take, you're trying to model it after real life. But you also want it to, like, look good on camera. You look want, good and to, like, have a lot of different angles and, like, yeah, and hide like different things. Passageways, bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, like, a cool, really cool way. You can try to pull a bunch of images from those shows. But someone has already broken down, like, the overhead sets of all these awesome TV shows. His name is Joey Costco. He's not actually, he's the one that wrote this up. It's the folks at BizDAQ, B-I-Z-D-A-Q, who drew up the floor plans. So we'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. Really cool. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. Uh, well, so uh, while I was traveling, uh, the founder, I watched the founder on the plane. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's got a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'd say that's about right. Um, <laughs> is but, it about Scientology? No, no, no. It is about oh, the, oh, the McDonald's. McDonald's. One. Michael yes. Keaton, who I love. Roy Kroc. Roy Kroc. Yeah. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. Um, Solid Kroc. It, what's, what stuck with me about it, though, is that um, because, you know, it's based off of a real person and that person did some things that you wouldn't have a Hollywood character do in a Hollywood movie. It's got this interesting sort of shape to it that I don't know how I feel about. Like, not to spoil too much, if you're really, like, you know, really excited about the founder, maybe skip this. But, like, basically, he starts as kind of this down-on-his-luck, aw shucks kind of guy who really needs a break. And you think it's going to be about him and his wife kind of coming together. That's that's the way it's set up, basically. So it's going to be this great American story about this guy who builds this company. And he, it's really about him transforming into a shark 
and like leaving his wife and like really like fucking over these two guys who invented McDonald's basically played by um, uh, John Carroll Lynch and uh, Nick Offerman. So you kind of like them already. Like they're really great. Everybody's very good in the movie, but like it's this hero's journey, but his journey is, you know, into becoming this kind of monster. Yeah. It's very Scorsese-esque, right? Like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. But you never think that Ray Liotta in the beginning of Goodfellas is going to have a redemption. Right. You know, like the, the, He's an anti-hero, but with a traditional Hollywood first act, right, right? Which is so it's it's a very kind of strange movie for that reason. So it's stuck with me. I've been thinking about it a lot and talking to people about it. So um, for that reason, I endorse it. Yeah, I want to check it out. I have not seen it, but I heard about the scene where they're like on the tennis courts and they're trying to mm-hmm. figure out how yeah. to build the kitchen of a McDonald's in the most efficient way. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to like about it. Um, and all the performances are good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'll check it out. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of industry banter. <laughs> I guess it's just like any other episode. I just feel like we talked a lot this episode. <laughs> but uh, please let us know what you think. Uh, if there's any specific crew positions you'd like to hear on the our call sheet segment, please let us know. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at just shoot it pod on twitter uh you can tweet at me at at smitey pileg and i'm at mr bad check us out on instagram just shoot it pod reddit r slash just shoot it pod we're all over the place guys and guys rate us on idea. itunes if you can we will read them out loud on our next episode this episode was edited by christopher gray uh, and our music was provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks everyone bye Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.